Hi everybody, it's your host Jamie here. This week you might notice that the audio quality of our show is not up to its usual five-star par. And the reason for that is that uh, we are currently sheltering in place due to the COVID-19 virus. And Jack is unable to join us in the studio, but we have him coming through on Google Hangouts and joining us after watching the movie. So you might notice a slight difference in our usual audio quality, but we wanted to make sure that we didn't let this interfere with our ability to entertain you. And we hope that you'll forgive this minor inconvenience for the chance to be entertained and elucidated. So enjoy the show. Hey guys, I don't know if I'm brave enough to watch another bad movie. Yeah, I hear you. I don't think I could bear to watch another flop. Well, if you could change your film, would ye? I would. I would. <laughs> Welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Wolkel, here with my fearless co-hosts. My name is Jack Olander, a prince of the past, so unimportant I don't get a unique character model. <laughs> and I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a witchy entrepreneur who likes to carve bears. Oh, that sounds like an original backstory. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, we've got a treat for you this week because our movie is Brave. That's right. The 2012 Pixar classic directed by Mark Andrews, Brenda Chapman, and Steve Purcell and starring Kelly McDonald, Emma Thompson, Billy Conley, Julie Waters, and Robbie Coltrane. Robbie Coltrane, of course, a favorite of the podcast, also known as Hagrid from the Harry Potter series. Nice. And for you repeat listeners, we've got a Swords and Satire alum in Craig Ferguson, who in this movie does the voice of Lord Macintosh and was also in How to Train Your Dragon, a past Swords and Satire favorite. But before we get too far into this movie... I think Chelsea has a little summary to get us kicked off. That's right. Here's a summary for Brave. Brave is a coming-of-age story about family feeling a sense of belonging or loneliness. Sad. Oh, this movie did make me sad. <laughs> but like a good kind of sad. Oh. Like a happy kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. That's called touching. <laughs> no touching. <laughs> it's a good touch. Oh, well, that's good. And it's also about fate and destiny. <gasps> Your fate? <laughs> My Your fate? Destiny. 
Your destiny. Our fate. <laughs> uh, so we follow Merida, the princess of the bear clan. I don't remember what her clan is. Uh, Fergus. <laughs> That's her dad's name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a patriarchal society that they're in. All right. Wu Tang clan. <laughs> <laughs> It ain't nothing to fuck with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, as she grew up, she was allowed to just basically do whatever she wanted and follow her dreams of being a deadly archer. Talk about the good life. <laughs> she could go out and go riding whenever she wanted. She could eat as many apples as she could grab. Ooh. Um, but one day, her mother tries to put her in chains. Stick her with a ball and chain, if you know what I mean. Uh, oh, I get it. <laughs> they call in the other clans from a, their kingdom, and they are to present their firstborn sons for Merida to choose which one is to be her king consort. The Merida marriage, as it were. And they have a contest to see who is worthy to take her hand in marriage. An archery contest? (laughs) Which Merida chooses. But this causes strife in their family, and Merida doesn't want to marry no one. Well, nobody she doesn't love. Right. And she shows them all up in the archery contest, and uh, then she and her mother have a fight. And she breaks, or she tears a tapestry of their family. Tearing the picture of her mother away from the rest of the family. Symbolism. (laughs) And she goes crying into the forest and finds the standing stones that the -the Will-of-the-Wisps guided her to. And they guide her to a witch's hut who's carving bears and trying to sell them for profit. (laughs) I can't tell if this is a good cottage industry or not. See, it's an industry inside of a cottage. Right. <laughs> and she hires, she finds out that that woman's actually a witch. And she hires her to create a spell that will change her mother. She's not very specific about it, which will come back to bite her in the bear ass. Get the it? bear ass? Because <laughs> her mom turns into a bear after oh. eating the cake that the witch put a spell on. And the whole time up to this point, her mother's been an ass. They both kind of were asses. That's fair. <laughs> to each other. And so her mom eats the cake and turns into a bear. And then they have to escape so that she doesn't get murdered by her husband and all of the clan leaders. You see, Meredith's father, Fergus, really dislikes bears. He's kind of made it his life goal to make to give bears a bad day. So they try to go find the witch together, but she's gone. They just find a message from the witch that part of the spell is if after the second sunrise, they don't reconcile a rift in their family, her mother, the spell will become permanent, meaning her mother will be in the shape of a bear forever and take on the qualities of a bear. And the message the witch spoke was, Fate be changed, look inside, mend the bond, torn by pride. What could it mean? We don't know. Or do we? But they find out later. But so, before Merida and her mom figure out what the cryptic message means, 
they pal around in the forest trying to teach each other skills and trying to actually listen to each other because this whole time they've both been really stubborn and haven't listened to each other. They just haven't learned their lesson. It's almost like they learn to communicate better when they can't actually verbally communicate with each other. And they have to find creative ways to understand one another. Also, Meredith seems to really have a good grasp on how bears eat. Yeah, I guess she spends a lot of time out in nature watching other animals. So they find their way to a ruined castle out of legend. And they stumble upon the throne room and find out that the evil bear Mardu that has been plaguing their lands is actually a king of old who had been transformed into a bear, much like Merida's mother had. But he was twisted by hatred. And they escape from him and make their way back to their own castle because Merida figures out that the thing they have to mend is the tapestry that she tore earlier to mend is a symbol of their bond as a family. So they make their way back to the castle and they have to distract all of the clans so that they can sneak the mom up to the rooms through the throne room. So some hijinks ensue, they finally get her up there, but then they're not able to find a needle and thread to mend the tapestry and Fergus, the chieftain, finds Merida in her room with a huge bear. And we all know he hates bears. I'd like to point out to the listener that when Chelsea started talking about Fergus, she put her hands on her hips and 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 took on a power posture. (laughs) Yeah, because that's kind of how he do. Yes, and we all know that Fergus hates bears and kills on sight and is quick to violence and thinks it's hilarious yeah he's a real billy conley type (laughs) so eleanor the queen in bear form manages to escape the castle again and merida is locked in her room by her father who goes after the bear not realizing it's his wife and merida calls on the help of her three brothers to get her out of her room and help ride to save their mother on the back of their favorite horse, Angus. And she brings the tapestry with her and is, in a very, like, Disney moment, is, like, mending it on horseback as they're riding to go save their mom. And, of course, they have to go back to the Standing Stones. Everything keeps coming back to that magical place. And um, There's always money in the Standing Stones. (laughs) So... That is where her mother, as a bear, traveled to to try to escape. She found herself back at the Standing Stones, but all the chieftains and their clans had caught up to her, and they tied her up, and Fergus was about to make a killing blow, but then Merida rides in and defends her mother against her father, and she's claiming that it's her mother and nobody believes her. But then in stumbles Mardu the evil bear and he tries to kill them all and everybody's fighting him and he's just swatting people like flies left and right and then right as he's about to basically murder Merida Eleanor realizes her strength as a mama bear and starts fighting him 
and they have an epic battle between the two bears. And then since Eleanor has an advantage over Mardu, she still kind of has the brain of a human in, and she's just in bear form. And so she's able to strategize as she's fighting him and that is her advantage because he's actually more powerful than her. Brains over brawn. Exactly. And she pushes him uh, brutally against a standing stone over and over again because she saw that the top of it was falling off. And then she stumbles back and it breaks down and kills him, crushing Mardu. And we, and get, we get to see his spirit rising up and he nods at them. As He's kind of okay with the whole dying thing. It seems like they freed his spirit from a prison. And the sun starts to rise. And Merida thinks that her mother is not going to change back. And she begins to cry. And she, in a last desperate attempt, apologizes, telling her she's sorry for not feeling like she was there for her. She knows her mother was always there for her. And I can promise you that absolutely none of us were weeping like small children at this part. Nope. Not me. Definitely not me. No, no. Totally dry. All dry eyes in the in the whole theater. Very business. Are we in the whole room? <laughs> And so, uh, as the sun hits over the tapestry that she had covered her mother with, uh, suddenly she's put back to rights. And uh, they have a reconciliation, and Merida is given the choice to kind of make her own path in life and decide who she wants to love or if she wants to marry at all. And they, they reconcile as a family. And Queen Eleanor really lets her hair down after this part. <laughs> because her hair's not in braids anymore. Yeah, they they have a last scene where they show that after that point, Eleanor and Merida enjoy more times of bonding, having adventures in the forest together. The yeah. end. You can always tell when Chelsea really liked the movie because the summaries are in great detail. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now that we know what happened, why don't we head into the delve? This is the delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, lore, and critique of Brave. All right, guys, there's a lot to cover, but why don't we talk a little bit about the lore first? Yeah, so there's a lot of magic in this world, we know. There are the standing stones that are kind of like a portal to... The other world. Yeah. A Celtic concept, usually, um, of the kind of world on the other side of our world where... The Fey Realms. Where things are a little bit more magical, a little bit more esoteric, where humans don't hold quite as much sway, but the fairies and the elves and the other mystical folk have a lot more control over what's going on. A little bit of that magic bleeds through into our world in the form of the will-o'-the-wisps that are throughout the forest. And in the lore of the movie, they are said to lead people to their fate. Hmm, fate. That sounds important. And we see after Mardu, Mardu's human spirit comes out of the dead bear that mm. he turns into a will-o'-the-wisp. 
So it must be dead humans that guide other people to their fate. Oh, God. <laughs> Maybe they all have some kind of thing they need to make amends for, and that's why they're acting in service to others. Hmm. Some of the other lore that we get to hear in the beginning of the movie is that a person's destiny is tied to the land and we are all a part of it. And well, there, you know, there's, there's actually two possible uh, explanations of that that Merida gives, actually. She says that some people say that their destiny is tied to the land. Other people say that their fate is woven like a cloth. Right. And we get to see kind of both of those things play out throughout the movie. Because the land is an important concept for everybody. We're talking about um, like Scottish clanhood here. People who are associated with this land that they protected. They protected themselves from a Viking Viking raids and they kind of split up the land into their own little kingdoms under one kind of democratic leadership but also kind of not. Well, They I, have a king. Yeah. Well, I thought this I thought that this concept was very insightful. The concept of destiny being tied to the land because in most human cultures, people are, their culture is intrinsically tied to the landscape that is their a people's homeland. Excellent you know? point. Yeah. So there will be sacred sites of a particular culture uh, in their homeland and it, it Sites of meaning where they find meaning, and yeah, you've got important natural features like trees and stones. And you know, in this movie, we have the standing stones that are the pathway. There's symbols that are associated with the land, you know, a lot of times, say in Celtic traditions, or in um, you know, a lot of the symbolism is animals in that region. So in this movie, we've got the bears, obviously. Yeah. There's uh, symbols like Celtic tree knots and stuff like that. Right. These branching fates that tie together. Yeah. So I thought that was a, an interesting uh, or a neat concept they included that was um, true to real human cultures. I mean, an, an interesting concept that is common in folklore and mythology of Western cultures, at least is what I can talk about, um, is the idea that wild nature, and particular, particularly a forest or the woods, holds danger, mystery, magic, or discovery. And we found all of those associations with the forest in this film. And there's a tension between those what we call wild aspects and the character of Eleanor, the, the mother, who is trying to control her wild daughter. Yeah. She associates Merida with kind of unruliness and these behaviors that she doesn't think is becoming of a princess. You know, throughout the movie, she's constantly saying, a princess does not do this. A princess does not do that. Merida feels more of a drive to be her own person. She doesn't fall into the like gender roles that are prescribed to her but Eleanor is kind of forced to lose her sense of decorum and civilization when she gets transformed into a bear at first she resists like eating salmon out of the river but eventually she kind of gets overtaken by these urges 
Yeah. Now, by the end of the movie, we've got kind of a balanced Eleanor. She's not so tied to this idea of like Tradition. maintaining traditional behaviors and values, but she's not completely gone over to quote unquote wildness. She's kind of found a comfortable medium where she embraces Merida's more more adventurous spirit without completely, you know, giving in to everything. She still wants Merida to eventually Take follow, follow to eventually follow some of the traditions like marriage, but she is not so married to the idea of arranged marriages at that point. Yeah, and you know, what you're touching on is the theme of family in this movie. That's one of the major themes. Family, and, this movie's swimming in it. And I also saw, like, there's this associated with family and one's community, really. Like, the family could be the family unit or one's community. You can extrapolate out to that larger uh, social group. And in this movie, that takes the form of clans. Right. And uh, so you have a duty to your family or your clan, which kind of... This is what, in the beginning of the movie, Eleanor is trying to impart to Merida. And it's about knowing your place or what what role you have to take on and the responsibilities that go along with it and kind of like fitting each person into a prescribed slot that they have to fill in their family or their community. And it's like, you have to do this to support your community and Eleanor's kind of imparting this idea that that supporting the community and taking on a role is more important than any personal dreams or goals that somebody might have. But that does change, as Jamie was talking about, as they learn to listen to one another. But this, um, all the messages of the movie are um, not very traditional uh, messages that you would see for, like, the cultures they're portraying, like Celtic cultures. The messages are, of course, uh, made to appeal to an American audience, so they are repeating American ideals. in the mouths of these Scottish characters. <laughs> right. Yeah, the morals in it, and just some of the cultural values, did seem kind of out of place. Like I was saying when we were watching it, toward the end, Merida is giving a speech to the clan leaders, and she's like, you know what? I'm on board with following tradition, uniting the clans. Let's talk about my betrothal. And then the mom is so touched by hearing that Merida will do what she wants that the mom is like, forget it. We're going to do what Merida wants. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, wait, but <laughs> you were tra- you were mad at her for not doing what you want. Now you're scrapping it and just being like, you were right, Merida. <laughs> you've, you've grown and now you can forget it. Yeah. It seems like they kind of find a comfortable medium. What I thought was interesting was um, when Merida is speaking these words about writing her own story that Eleanor is kind of feeding to her and she's saying this to all the the clan leaders, all their sons kind of come forward and go, yeah, wait, this is what we want too. Yeah. We don't want you choosing our fate. We want to write our own stories. They feel emboldened by what Merida said, and they suddenly all start speaking up and saying, like, they didn't want to have to marry somebody they didn't want to choose either. And earlier in the movie, even Eleanor admits that she had hesitation about Fergus, 
And this uh, gives Fergus a little moment of trepidation. <laughs> yeah. That's cute, though. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. But also kind of like, he's like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Hey, wait a minute. Well, he's such a confident guy. Sometimes maybe he should be made to question his beliefs. Maybe, but I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I really like Fergus in this movie. He, he doesn't like. He certainly fits like the kind of gender role of his character. Yeah. But he also doesn't try to force it on Merida in any way, or he doesn't try to force gender roles on Merida. He actually is like really likes having a having a child who like he can kind of joke with and be kind of ribald with and like he yeah. can train to fight i mean he gives her her first bow much to eleanor's chagrin yeah no you're right yeah. <laughs> um yeah i think that eleanor kind of i mean merida grows up kind of being a little bit more like her father and this challenge and adventure teaches her to respect her mother's gifts and talents and she kind of comes out of it changed to being more balanced as well and understanding the uh, importance of diplomacy and um, working to keep a community cohesive and building bonds with other people which is what her mother cherishes. So she, they both are able to find a balance uh, in their lives, the mother and daughter. In that way they do kind of place Eleanor in the more familiar emotional labor role as right. the mother and the matriarch of the family like she's the one who has to have a level of maturity that is not shared by the men folk and then you know Merida is more comfortable in that more raucous set of uh, behaviors it's uh, stereotypical feminized versus masculine uh, behaviors and and gender expression yeah and i mean in this whole movie we've got a lot of male characters but we only have merida eleanor and kind of the house staff of the female characters that we see so we're not seeing a lot about what the you know we're not seeing a lot of diversity in female characters in the movie we mostly get our information about what women are probably like in this culture through the cues that eleanor gives us Right. And seeing that, you know, the women are, like, working in the kitchen and tending to the house. While the men are all kind of these very caricature, like, warrior guys who are ready to fight at the drop of a hat. And like, braggadocious. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's very simplified characters. We don't have a lot yeah. of nuance. I mean, the closest thing we have is Merida early on in the movie. But, you know, we don't get a lot of other, like, female perspective characters to kind of extrapolate much about what women in this setting are like. Yeah, they're kind of invisible. This goes along with the theme of belonging that I was picking up on. And um, they are really stressing hard that in order to feel like you belong in a family or a community, you need to feel like you're being listened to. Important. Um... You need to feel like you can be accepted for who you are. Also good. Um, and that if you can communicate effectively, it will help build these bonds between people. And it's clearly shown that the lack of feeling this familial bond or a sense of belonging in a community is painful for people. 
and you f I felt that pain vicariously when we were watching it and as we learned through a recent YouTube video that pain of feeling that lack of a social bond is a real physical pain in the body and it's something that we evolved to be able to feel um, so that we could be more we would be more likely to survive by being part of a social unit uh, that video is from a YouTube channel with a German name that means in a nutshell and I cannot pronounce the word so just search for in a nutshell loneliness and it should show up yeah it's a very interesting video I learned a lot but um, yeah and it, it the in the beginning the characters basically it's their stubbornness and pride that acts as a barrier for them to feel these bonds with each other a barrier <laughs> Yeah. And so, like, in Mardu, that monstrous bear, we kind of see that his inability to build these bonds with others and this lack of belonging kind of turns him into a monster, and they're kind of sending a message in, in that way. Yeah, he betrayed his brothers, it seems like. Uh, he's like kind of a character out of legend for this culture. Yes, and that's what I referenced with my introduction we get to see a flashback of the four princes of the long-forgotten nation, and one of which is Mardu. And the three other brothers that aren't Mardu are this gray, partially in the background, character model, and they're all the same character model. And then Mardu is this giant, painted, muscular guy with two axes, and it's like, I wonder which one is the traitor <laughs> from what I'm looking at. Yeah. <laughs> Just interesting. They're pretty straightforward with the imagery. A lot of them. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because they do want... Uh, they have a diverse audience and they the target audience is children, so... I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm just fucking around. <laughs> um, but the, they have messages... Uh, you know, it's a family film, so they have messages in the movie that can appeal to children and adults. And it appealed to me. Yeah. <laughs> or the so movie did at least. They also want to teach lessons to people of different ages too. So like maybe they're kind of sending the message to children like they should listen to their parents and like their parents um, have their best interests at heart, which isn't always true, but um, hopefully for the most case, uh, most part it is. And um, but they're also, they also have the message that they're telling parents that they can learn something from their children and they shouldn't forget to listen to what their children are saying. They portray a fairly supportive relationship between Merida and Eleanor. They don't always see eye to eye, but they do love each other and they do have each other's best interests at heart. Right. Eleanor is not cruel. She's not dismissive of her daughter because she resents her in any way she thinks she knows better she's not trying to be bullish i mean you know it's it's a really kind of it's kind of a sad moment when early in the film eleanor throws merida's bow into the fire in a kind of a fit of rage when merida's not listening to her 
And as she's watching it burn, she, like, realizes what she's done and, like, kind of feels shame and, like, pulls it out and is, like, starts crying, which I thought that was a really touching moment because sometimes we act in a way that is counterintuitive to what we really want because our emotions get a hold of us and we might say or do something that we regret. And, you know, it's important to recognize that and to seek atonement. Right. But would you say that Eleanor was acting bearish? No, I wouldn't say that. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you're right. Um, I thought that was a touching moment as well, and I could understand how that could happen. It was sad that, and I've been there before too, like when people have different ideas or think a certain outcome is going to be better and they can't agree and then they can't listen they end up fighting it's always kind of sad that when people can't communicate with one another especially if they love each other and it causes strife yeah and i mean obviously that's a big part of this film's kind of overarching message and you know the themes that we're seeing is that they would have been better off eleanor and merida if they could have talked to each other like reasonable people but both of them were too set in their idea about what was best for well in this case for merida but also in that regard for the family at large because eleanor believes that the tradition of marrying the first born children of the clan leaders is a way to create unity amongst all the clans and that is a kind of a traditional human society behavior that that is carried out. I mean, marriage for the sake of alliance between potentially adversarial groups is conceptually something that human cultures have done throughout the centuries, throughout human history. Right. Something I wanted to bring up about this movie is that it is another one of our films where the concept of class is very much buried under... The rest of the movie. Maybe unsurprisingly for a Disney movie, they don't necessarily want to say too much that might be construed as promoting any kind of idea that there might be any adversarial feelings between people of different classes. But we do have a few little clues that, um, that kind of give us insight to the class struggle of this movie. Yeah, I'm not so sure Disney would want to talk about classes, like the lower classes. You know, riffraff, street rat, I don't buy that. Exactly. (laughs) But so, uh, Jack had a good point about how we see people of the lower classes portrayed in this movie. Don't mind if I do. Yeah, so in the film, the character of lower class I think we get to see the most of is... The royal servant, Madi. She works in the castle. She has a uniform, it looks like, very proper. This sort of headpiece that... Keeps her hair covered. Yeah, that Merida wears to keep her hair back when she's dressed professionally. (laughs) So, Madi is always dressed very professional. She does her job. But Merida says that her three little brothers get away with anything, right? And they do in the movie as they constantly torment the servant. Yeah. Right? And it's played for laughs. Yes. It's supposed to be funny. They're stealing food from her, making her chase after them. They're gaslighting her into, like, being afraid constantly. 
And thinking she's and going crazy. It's true. At one point, she has orders from the king to keep Merida locked in her room. And Merida tells the brothers, get the key. And she hides the key in her bosom. And so the little boys who are bears chase her around. And one of them jumps into her boobs to get the key out. It's kind of troubling. Yeah. Yes. And there's no justice for her. Oh, I don't know if that's entirely true. I don't know if she gets justice, but she might have some redemption. But we'll talk about that when I give my epic moment. Okay. And um, also, what I noticed is that all of the servants of the castle that they show are women. Yes. And um, they all seem to kind of have to do to perform multiple roles. We see some of the same servant characters in the kitchens, uh, tending to the rooms, put it, bringing firewood around. Like They seem like they all have to do everything. Yeah, the women have to do everything around the home, and then the men have to go out and fight and presumably die in battle. And it's a very, it's a very sexually divided workforce. Right. And it's just kind of taken for granted, like, and this is like the usual like Disney comic violence where it seems like the worst that could possibly happen is just a little maiming. Nobody seems to really die despite like procuring horrible injuries in battle. Yeah. They just like, quote, ran off the Vikings. But I mean, it's basically this idea that men are silly and not very bright and are just kind of there to go to war and die and be aggressive and women are kind of servile and clever but they don't really get to have any power for themselves other than by like subtly influencing their husbands right and like we don't really see much in the way of characters who subvert that i guess you could argue that the movie is kind of showing merida as the counterpoint to these values but so much of the movie we are just seeing these reinforcing roles that don't get questioned merida is just a an outlier yeah she is portrayed as an outlier but the whole idea that um she should be able to find her own destiny and kind of make her own fate is a very american ideal or value so that's something I was talking about before, but yeah, still interesting though. Yeah, the general message about fate in the movie is that it lives within us and you have to be brave enough to see it. <laughs> and she kind of, you kind of have to be brave enough to fight for your uh, own fate or destiny too, based on the messaging of the movie. And like, she tries to use a spell from the witch at one point to change her fate. But it ends up backfiring on her, and we get the whole problem of the film through that. And that's what, like, sets off the adventure. But, uh, in the end, it seems like she kind of learns that you can't have any quick fixes to change your fate. The message is kind of like, if you want to change your life, you have to do the work, uh, to change it yourself. Yeah, if you try to do something quick, like use magic, which always has a price, dearie. Yeah. Then something is going to inevitably go wrong that fucks everything up. But you do get a lesson out of it. Yeah, hopefully we all get lessons out of it. Also, 
it's true. The message of the film is you have to do it yourself. But also in the film, they repair their relationship in two days. Yeah. Yeah, that is a pretty classic Disney quick solution. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> yeah, people don't tend to actually undergo profound change in a short amount of time like that. Although, being transformed into a bear never <laughs> happened to me, so I don't really know like what impact that might have on your psyche. Yeah, none of us can really say for sure. Yeah. Well, there's a magic that they didn't talk about, but it's seen in a lot of movies, and it's very powerful. Montage. Yeah. So it, was, it was only two days, but they played the theme song over it, and when they were fishing... It showed a lot of scenes of them bonding, and it made it seem like there was a lot of bonding. So, magic. Yeah, it's the it's movie magic. Yeah. <laughs> Don't underestimate it. I mean, two days is a hell of a ticking clock. Yeah, <laughs> I know. All right, well, if we feel like we've gotten through all the big stuff, why don't we get into evil, stupid, or misunderstood? Alright guys, this is Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. The part of the show where we take a look at the principal antagonist of the movie and determine if they were stupid or evil. Or maybe just misunderstood. So obviously, the principal antagonist of the movie is lack of communication. Yeah, misunderstanding. Which is evil. Yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry, it's stupid. It is stupid, <laughs> and it creates... A lot of misunderstandings. And sometimes leads to evil. As we saw in Mardu, who became an evil bear. <laughs> Listen, in life, there's two types of bear. There's good bear, and there's bad bear. Mardu bad bear. Mardu bad bear. <laughs> Not such a bad person, it seems, after he seems to go through the redemptive arc of being a bear. So maybe becoming a bear does have magical, life-changing and perspective-changing powers. Bad bear lead to good will-o'-wisp. Yeah. So, I mean, in the future, he's going to be leading other directionless young people into journeys of understanding and self-enlightenment. Nice. Yeah, what do you think, Jack? The villain of this movie? It's hard to say. I might go out on a limb and say it's Merida. Okay. Really? Interesting. I'm listening. Yeah. Alright. Because the mom was the one who actually had to undergo the change in order to change the situation. But Merida was the one who was potentially starting a war, wasn't willing to listen to the reason her mom was doing these things. She just kind of got mad right away, and they were both at fault there. But Merida got the curse. Merida, you know, it, it was kind of her not wanting... I, I guess it was her trying to go against society that made this happen. And so I would say she could be a villain in this, but it would be misunderstood, I think. It sounds to me like society is the real villain here. 
That's what yes. I was thinking. <laughs> we live in a society, and society is evil. <laughs> All right, well, there you have it, folks. Why don't we head to the smithy? This is the smithy, where we forge a rating after sharing an epic moment or feature from Brave. Chelsea, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature of this movie and then give it a rating from 1 to 10 bows? Oh, yeah. So my epic moment of the movie is when Eleanor first becomes a bear and she doesn't realize it yet. And she and Merida... Are, before they figure out what's going on, they're both just screaming or bellowing at each other. And Eleanor ends up just totally devastating her room. She stumbles around the entire room and breaks every single fucking piece of furniture in that place. Including the four-poster bed. Yeah. And uh, she just devastates it. And it was just a great moment, uh, just seeing her wreck shit. It was great. <laughs> yeah, that was my epic moment. I'm going to give this movie 10 out of 10 Celtic bows. Wow. I don't know if it necessarily is a perfect movie, but it's beautiful. It is. And it has a lot of good messages. Not all perfect messages, but a lot of positive messages, which I appreciated. And also they show that people can be redeemed, uh, even if they've done a lot of bad things. And that people can change, which is something I want to believe. So, yeah. Very nice. Jack, your epic moment and then your rating? I kind of... There are a lot of good epic moments, and I thought of a few that could have been good... But I think I'm going to go for an epic feature. All right. Disney is pretty well known for having, you know, big eyes, big mouth, so that they can really show expressions really clearly. And that's partially for children in, in order to teach them while they're developing to recognize emotions on people's faces. It's a developmental thing. Yeah. But this movie was made by Pixar, so if you compare the art in this one to the art in other Disney princess movies, the faces are actually structured a bit differently. And I really appreciated the way that the faces looked in this movie specifically. Merida makes a lot of very entertaining faces if you're just staring at it for a lot of the film. You can really recognize a lot of expressions that you make sometimes and they aren't always very common but it makes you more aware of them and i thought that was just really great to see so i thought they did a really good job with that i thought it was pretty epic yes and i'm gonna give this movie uh you know I i'm gonna hop on there i'm gonna hop on 10 10 bows because nice. I, I i love this movie i grew up on disney movies so when i see this it speaks directly to my heart and i couldn't give it something else you know nice, yeah <laughs> yeah what about you jamie i'm glad you asked i feel like the pressure is really on now 
Yes. So my epic moment at the very end of the movie, when the clans are leaving Meredith's homeland to head back home. Yeah. We see this kind of panoramic view of everyone kind of hustling and or bustling and saying goodbye. And we see Maudie, who for the whole movie has kind of been the comic relief, right? She's the servant. She hasn't been treated very well. The boys just harass her. But she is, in this final moment, busy making out with the giant hulking Scotsman who they did kind of a um, a bait-and-switch gag about him being one of the clan chieftain's sons, but it actually his son was the little tiny guy behind him. Yeah. But that was just... just uh, he's this giant, hulking Scotsman who looks like Triple H in a kilt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and And he's, like, making out with uh, Marty. So I'm like, hey, you know what? She finally got hers. Good for her. Yeah. Um... I'm really glad you guys uh, thought this movie deserved a 10 out of 10. I am going to give it 8 out of 10 bows. I really, really enjoy it. I can definitely look past the some of the simplified messages, especially because it is a movie directed for kids, although that doesn't necessarily mean that kids can't understand more complicated things. But the messages are great. I love the characters. I openly weeped. I just think that 10 out of 10 is reserved for like some of the top echelon of fantasy movies. And again, I really super enjoyed this. I don't question your guys' ratings at all. For me, it maybe just needed a few more social critique elements. Right. And it really would have locked it in for me. Yeah, I could see that. I'll give it 9. It is really fun. Okay. You guys, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to bring down the averages too much because this is really one of the best movies we've watched for swords and satire. So yeah, nine out of ten bows. How's that? All right, I'll accept. All it. right, you can put the bow down. <laughs> All right. Well, now that you know how we felt, I guess we can head to the bounty board. You awake on a misty morn, deep into the Scottish Highlands. The smell of grass beneath you. You unfurrow your kilt that you've rolled out to sleep in and begin to wrap it around your waist. But from the corner of your eye, you notice a blue glimmer as you follow these dancing lights leading you down a rocky trail. You come to a clearing, and before your eyes, words begin to form in the misty air, and they read, Bounties? Okay, guys, so I've got a bounty for you today. Let's... I love bounties. <laughs> Let's take some lessons from this movie. One of the lessons that we learned is about communication and being a good listener, and that can be really hard to do. All of it, all of it's hard. And something that I've learned the hard way is that if you're having a miscommunication with other people, you gotta just take a moment and clear your mind and ask the other person what they mean. Good advice. Because that will help you clear up a lot of misunderstandings. And just trying to take a moment to think, what am I really feeling right now? Instead of just reacting to something. And if you can just take a deep breath and just 
admit the feeling you're feeling. You, I'm telling you, you're going to be able to work it out together and it's going to clear up a lot of miscommunication and help you build bonds with people instead of breaking them down. This seems like timely advice. Yeah, and it's something I've had to learn the hard way through a lot of mistakes myself. So, um, and it's something I'm still working on, but hey, we can all work on it together. Deal. Yeah. That's a hell of a bounty. Yeah, so just try that the next time you notice that uh, communication is not going quite as you expected or, or the, the way you would like. Now that we have some good advice to follow, I think it's time to rewrite some history. This is Rewriting History, the part of the show where we discuss an idea for a sequel, a reboot, or a spinoff for Brave. All right, guys. So uh, Disney sequels tend to be really bad direct-to-video kind of rehashes of the original story where every lesson that was learned is taken back and the characters don't grow at all and repeat all the mistakes of history. So... I mean, I think our job here is pretty easy, right? It basically writes itself. Just retell the whole story. I totally agree with what you said. Disney sequels are typically completely retelling the first movie worse or taking advantage of the fact that there was no love interest and making the entire movie just about the love interest. Oh, that would really be a bummer for this movie. Yes. A movie where she says, maybe I'll never be ready for marriage yes and luckily for us disney has started taking its sequels a bit more seriously at least in one example with disney's frozen 2 which slightly develops the romantic relationship that was in the first one but in a really healthy and organic way in the same vein they try to touch upon new morals and completely new storyline in the second one which is handled really well it didn't do very well because of disney's bad reputation with sequels but (laughs) it's worth a watch all right that's cool um i think we could use that as an example for our sequel i think we should come up with a sequel for this movie i've got the perfect sequel i found a way to make sure that our sequel is going to not only give audiences exactly what they want but perfectly builds off of the original text because Merida, as we know, is an archer. So what we do is we write a sequel where she falls in love with Robin Hood the fox. (laughs) Every Disney fan will go crazy for it. It'll be the biggest selling Disney movie of all time, finally legitimizing the furry community through Disney's own perspective. I think I know what our first slash fiction story is going to be. Are we writing slash fiction now? All right. <laughs> Just saying, they're both redheads. It works. <laughs> so they have no souls, right? Hey, I resemble that remark. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, um, yeah, I think that we should focus on Merida is kind of coming into her own. She's becoming a woman now in the sequel. She's coming of age she's gonna be 18 we'll say and um she and her mom we got to make it clear in the beginning that they have been only building upon their bond they become very close i like it and they actually 
like we could show in the beginning that they go on some long-term trips together into the countryside they kind of go camping together in a way and um they kind of go on these adventures that aren't just one day long and so they both develop some skills together and um oh man they're a great team with Meredith's survival skills and eleanor's negotiation and diplomacy they're gonna be a they're gonna be a great adventuring party dynamic duo so um a real batman and robin type <laughs> i would like for this lesson of this movie to be that merida can kind of teach others that they need to find their own inner worth and they don't have to look to like a partner to make them feel like they are worthy of love kind of a highland motivational speaker yeah <laughs> So how would we make that happen? I mean, I think she should be refusing to marry. And um, she could be developing her skills as an archer. She could be become a warrior. And she she could convince... Maybe she... And, and Fergus would... I think he would support this. He's a pretty supportive father. Oh, yeah. She could be the next chieftain of all the clans. Okay. So rather than having to legitimize her role through marrying a male heir or uh, sorry uh, marrying one of the male heirs of the other clans she just inherits the title in a more traditional royal sense yeah so she could convince others that they can trust her and they can follow her and, and believe in her ability to rule as an individual and not be constrained to a particular role because of her gender and, um, she could be married to Scotland. Yeah, I mean, maybe you know, in a in a in a third movie, she could find somebody she can love. But in the in the second movie, we gotta ignore that for now. Perhaps faced with a struggle of a returning enemy in the Viking invaders. Yes. Come back for revenge, and Merida, as a new queen, has never had to deal with this, right? Yeah. And so she takes advice from the other clans, of course, but she could get like a mythical bow from the Willow Wisps. Yeah. When she's like goes to the stone circle for guidance. And then maybe Mardu reappears with the bow and gives it to her. And then when she like grabs the Willow Wisp bow, the like blue fire around it like disappears and it becomes a physical bow. And she's, like, using it to fight them back. But then she nice. forgets her own strengths at some point and thinks, you know, she's just relying on this new god-tier weapon she got. And then because of that, it's taken away. And she's like, oh, what am I now? And she's like, oh, yeah, a badass princess. And she grabs her old bow again. Yes. Jack, you gave me the most incredible idea. I know exactly how this movie ends to set up the third movie once we get through this story. Yeah. They know that the Vikings are coming back, right? In the second movie. In in this movie. In, yeah, in the yeah. movie we're writing yeah. right now. They get, the whole they get time a warning. They've, they've got they've gotten a warning. The Vikings are coming back. They need to prepare. They need to rally the clans. This is like the the zero hour. The Vikings have are coming back and rumor has it that they have this new weapon. 
something that is going to make them unstoppable. So Merida and Eleanor have to like really get like this legendary bow and like get the people just raring and ready to fight. And then as the movie ends, we see that they're standing on the shore waiting for the Vikings to arrive. And you see something coming over the horizon. But it's not a ship. It's a dragon. And we finally get the crossover that everyone has always wanted since the beginning of time. Pixar and DreamWorks. <laughs> That's right. This is... What do you call it? How to Train Your Viking. This is the crossover film, How to Train Your Dragon meets Brave. Two universes that you never thought would come together finally collide. In all-out bloody combat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's How funny. much negotiation do you think it's going to take to get DreamWorks and Pixar to play nice for this? It's going to take a war. <laughs> you might want to see the other How to Train Your Dragon movies. <laughs> <laughs> well. Okay, so we've got Eleanor and Merida. Before this point, we've got Eleanor and Merida traveling the countryside, uniting people, going on adventures. Yeah, I think that um, as they're getting ready to face this foe she's negotiate she and her mother are negotiating with people and eventually eleanor takes a back seat and lets merida take on a greater and greater role in the negotiation so people start stop looking to eleanor as much and start looking to merida for their the guidance and leadership so they have kind of a changing of the guard eleanor uses her respected position within the community to pass that prestige onto her daughter, Merida. Right. And um, when they see... You know what would be interesting is if there would be another threat, a smaller threat, just before the Vikings come. Yeah, um, you gotta have a threat for this movie. Merida helps to deal with, and people see her prowess in battle as well. And maybe it could be a dragon. It could be... No, no, you gotta save that for the big reveal at the end. Okay. Two bears. <laughs> two bears. Brave two. Too fast. Too, too brave, two bears. <laughs> brave two. Too brave, two bears. Yeah. Um, that's great. Um, yeah, so they face some other, like, natural threat, and she proves herself in that way as well. And so the clans are ready to follow her, and... Everybody kind of learns that a leader can come in different forms and it has to do with the qualities of the individual and not what their gender is. And, uh, yeah, I like it. Those are some good themes. And so we get the message through dialogue between Merida and Eleanor, you know, that, you know, you can look for, you can look for your strength from within. You don't have to, having a partner doesn't give you that strength, you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's great if you have a good, supportive partner, but some people do absolutely fine, you know, building meaningful friendships and relationships without needing to be romantically tied to someone. Yeah, and that's actually, I'm borrowing with that theme, I'm borrowing that from um, a previous film we watched, Viking Destiny. It was like one of the positive messages of that film. Viking Destiny, a sword and satire classic. Yep. So we're borrowing it here for Brave 2. 
I think we got it. I think we nailed it. I'm yeah. ready. We gotta. We better get DreamWorks and Pixar on the horn. Then I guess it's time for a side quest. This is the side quest where we suggest another piece of fantasy media you can engage with after you enjoy Brave. Yeah. Jack had an idea. What better movie to suggest after a Disney movie than a Disney movie? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh man, Disney's going to love us after this episode. <laughs> My thoughts exactly. Well, as you probably heard, in Brave, one of the major icons is a bear. And I did notice that. Yeah. It just so happens there's another Disney movie, Brother Bear. Yes. I like that where, movie. Yeah, it's a good one. I haven't seen it. Well, let me tell you. It's set in the Ice Age. Ooh. Yes. A uh, young hunter is coming of age in a hunter-gatherer society, and he's about to get his totem, the bear totem, which symbolizes love. But in an unfortunate turn of events... He grows to hate bears. Oh no! Only seeks vengeance against them. Wait, is this a Fergus backstory? Kind of is. And after doing a horrible act out of hatred towards bears, a strange turn of events happens, turning him into a bear himself. I hate when that happens. Yes. After being turned into a bear, he's forced to go on a journey where he learns to overcome his hatred for... Groups he doesn't know that much about. Yeah. Seems like yeah. a good message. That is a good message. Yes, he also learns to find family in unexpected places rather than just the family he left behind on his quest for vengeance. So, learning to build fictive kin or the family you choose. Logical kin. The corollary to biological kin. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's a movie where the main character is incredibly flawed, and that pushes the conflict with most of the film. So if you liked Brave, I think you'll like Brother Bear. And, as an added bonus, Phil Collins does the soundtrack. Nice. I can hear it calling in the air tonight. <laughs> That's awesome. You said it. Go, have a bear tonight. <laughs> you won't be able to bear it. Oh, boy. I'll grin and bear it. Now that I'm sufficiently ashamed of myself, uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening this week and spending your time as we discussed Brave. Make sure to follow us on social media, at Swords and Satire. And, you know, uh, why don't you send us a little email at swordsandsatire at gmail.com. Ask us your questions. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, tell us how you're doing while you're hopefully sheltering in place and keeping yourself safe and healthy. And we're going to be getting set up on Patreon soon, so you can check back there in, in the next week or two. And uh, check us out. If you're, you're able to support us, we would really appreciate it. We're going to have some awesome behind-the-scenes content and extra bonuses for patrons at different tiers yeah and um if you can't support us monetarily right now we feel your love nonetheless yeah and the best way to help us feel your love if you can't support us monetarily is to share our podcast with a friend yeah sounds good to me all right well until next time 
Hail Crom! Bears. <laughs>